Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Well, good morning. Uh, Juliet First, good to be with you today. Good to see each of your smiling faces. Uh, we're excited for next week's series, Adrenaline Junkies. Um, I know some of you would never consider yourself an adrenaline junkie, but all of you sitting here are adrenaline junkies in some way. And so we're starting this new series. We would encourage you to bring a friend with you next week. It's going to be fun. Uh, we're looking forward to it. We do have some important announcements uh, and just some things that we want to talk with you about next week. So uh, make sure you're here. Otherwise, you're going to miss it. Uh, I'm not just saying that. I mean it. It's, it's really big. It's important in the life of this church. And so I would ask that um, uh, you be here. And uh, if you have friends who are planning on skipping out because they need to go to something else, just let them know uh, you need to be here because it's important. So we're looking forward to it. Uh, we're finishing up our series, When Pigs Fly. Now, I know that many of you have been here over the course of this uh, uh, series, and many of you know that when we use the language, uh, when pigs fly, what we mean is there's a slim chance, there's, there's a good chance, there's a slim chance, right? that our chances of whatever we think could happen in our lives are very slim. And, and even though we think they're slim, we still tell people about them, and we don't, we don't mind sharing our dreams and our hopes with people. And then they look at you and they say, well, that would take a miracle, right? It would take a miracle. And we find it, have found it important to talk about miracles over the course uh, of the last three weeks because we think, we think that for so many of us, uh, we just don't think miracles happen today. So many of us think that miracles really aren't present. They don't happen the way they used to. And, and the truth is, and we've said this over and over, is we're just not looking for them. Uh, we, we aren't aware of them. We don't see them. We aren't looking for them. And we expect that they would be these huge magical things, and they're really just in the little everyday thing, everyday today things that we miss. And so we said this, and this is essential today, and especially where we land, is that miracles are when God visibly intervenes. Miracles are when God visibly intervenes. Now, I know, again, we'll go over this one more time. Theologically speaking, we don't believe that God from heaven comes down to earth, but rather that God is present wherever we are and that God is heaven. And wherever God is, there heaven is. And there's always a chance that heaven can break into the world that we live in today. And so we just truly believe that, and we believe that God visibly intervenes, and that's what we call a miracle. And so today we're talking about the American dream, which is miracles of provision. We all love it when we have provisions and lots of things and lots of stuff, and so we're going to tell you how much like, you have to give in order to get back, and we'll all go home. It'll be great. Uh, okay, maybe not. Uh, so would you pray with me this morning as we begin? Lord, thanks for this day and for this time. I pray that you would be in these next few moments, that you would be in these words that we would be open and receptive to the good news that you give. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I can remember in 2010, Janelle and I, uh, we were leaving uh, military life, and we were moving to ministry life. And, um, you know, I didn't know there was going to be such a drastic difference. But in 2010, uh, we bought a house in a little town called Brownstown, Indiana. And we quickly realized that our house wasn't going to be ready on the day that we were supposed to arrive. And so I called my pastor and I said, uh, it's great that we're going to be showing up. We just have nowhere to live. And this is like tomorrow, the next day. And so he uh, decided to pull some things together and um, found us a wonderful, wonderful camper. 
And I was really excited. As we rolled into Brownstown that first day, I can remember there were storm clouds, it was dark, and there were tornadoes. Now, that was God's miracle of provision telling us to run, but we ignored it, and instead we stayed. And I kid you not, the first few weeks of, of living in that camper, you know, about 30 feet of space with a newborn and, and a beautiful wife and boxes up to our elbows, um, we lived in this camper where there were tornadoes for almost the first two or three weeks. And I don't know if you know this, but campers are not designed to withstand tornadoes, right? Uh, they have hitches, which actually cause lots of glitches. They fly away, they float away, they get destroyed. And we were living in one of these things, and it was pretty nerve-wracking. Not only that, but we had teenagers. And, uh, they knew where we were staying, and so they were knocking on our doors every hour of the night. And, um, you know, after the first day, Janelle was like, I think I'm ready to quit. And, um, you know, it was a good stay. I say all that to say campers lead to kids. Uh, and next thing we know, we were having miles. We totally didn't plan for that. It was unplanned. And he also had some complications. And so we had some surgeries that he had to take care of and some things he needed taken care of. And next thing I know, I have medical bills that I can't pay, right? And so I was really frustrated in the year end because we went from making really good money to virtually no money at all. We were on WIC. Uh, we were really struggling financially. It was tough. We went from being, you know, both of us having jobs to all of a sudden we're on WIC and we're, you know, it was, it was very difficult. And so I was frustrated. And when I get upset and frustrated, I clean and I get rid of stuff and I throw stuff away. I know some of you don't know that, but uh, I just love throwing stuff away. And so I was really frustrated about the fact that we had this medical bill we couldn't afford and the kid that we hadn't planned on, and now I was going to have to pay all this money. I didn't have the money, and so I started cleaning a closet out, and um, those insurance companies, man, I really can't stand them. They send you your policy like every two weeks. The reason they do that is because they're making a bunch of changes you're not aware of, and they know that you're just going to throw it away anyway, right, Dan? Um, so, so I'm, I, I, you know, I collected all these insurance policies over the course of, I don't know, a few years, and I thought, well, I better go through them before I just throw them away. And there was one that was uh, thinner than the others, and so I figured that might be an important one, right? Because, you know, the thick ones are just your policy. So I open it up, and there is a check in there. There's a check in there for the exact amount that I need to pay on this medical bill. Right now we get excited, and I would say to you, like back in that day, I would have said that that was God's miracle of provision. And I bet many of you have had experiences in your life where you maybe showed up at your house and you had no food in the house, and all of a sudden there was this food that was dropped off on the steps of your house. A month's worth supply, and you're like, whoa, that was God's miracle of provision. Maybe you had a car that went to the shop, and I've, I've had this happen too. You go to the shop, and they tell you the amount, $700. I don't have $700. That's okay. It's been paid for. I don't know who paid for it, but somebody paid for it. Uh, it's pretty amazing. God's miracle of provision. So often, we have times in our lives, and you could probably point back in your life to a place in time where God provided you, for you when you thought you had nothing left, Right? But the big struggle that I have when it comes to miracles of provisions, and this is maybe the questions that you're asking, is what happens when God doesn't provide? Like, there are times where we have needs, and we, you know, we're, we're hoping that God is going to provide for us, and he doesn't provide, and then we start to have questions about God, because he's so unpredictable in his provision. And so, we've kind of bought into two, what I'm going to call false narratives, when it comes to understanding God's provision in the church and within the Christian faith. Right? And the first one is televangelists. I don't know, some of you watch televangelists and you know they're great people and they lie to you all the time. Um, and they will tell you things like this. Right? If you, if you give 
right? You have this problem. God doesn't want you to have that junky car. He doesn't want you to live in that junky house. He wants you to have a Mercedes Benz. He wants you to have, you know, a, a Rolls. He wants you to have the most expensive car. So all you have to do, you've heard them say this, is write me a check for $100. And by the way, you can make that in three installments over the course of a month or two few months or whatever it is. And what they're telling you is this, is that if you give, God will give back to you. That if you give, God will give back to you. And people have done this. They will write those people checks. And by the way, those televangelists have lots of money. Some of them even fly on their own personal jets. They have lots of money to fly on their own personal jets. And we're told this, and you've heard people in the church say this. Well-meaning pastors have said, if you give 10%, God will give to you tenfold. It's a lie. It's not true. Right? It is not your 401k. It's not your future investment. Giving to God, if you give, God will give, is not the narrative that will provide for you for the rest of your life. Simply not true. Now, I know some of you want to leave now because you were hoping that you would just give 100 bucks and God would give back tenfold. And it just doesn't work that way. Now, some of us know that, right? That God's not just going to provide for whatever we want. And so, well-meaning Christians will say this to you, that God will provide your every need. You ever hear somebody say this? God will provide your every need. He will never give you what you want. He won't always give you what you want. We all have wants. We all have wants. But God always provides our needs. He provides our every need. Now, I want to ask you this question. I wonder if a cancer patient who can't afford treatment would actually say that same thing. Do you think a cancer patient who can't afford treatment would say that God would provide my every need? I wonder if kids starving across the world, uh, across the globe, who have no clue where their next meal is coming from, people who have no clue where their next meal is coming from, would actually say that. I wonder if single mothers who have leaky roofs and they have no clue, they don't have the money and they don't have the repairs or the person to repair their house, would actually say that. And, and this is the problem for so many of us is we'll say things like, if you give, God will give, or God will meet, he won't meet your wants, but he'll meet your need. And when those things don't happen, then we begin to think that God is unpredictable in his provision. And when his provision isn't predictable, we just think that God is unpredictable. And so it's so interesting because we want to look at a story today written by a guy named Mark who actually will give us, we're going to look at a story that many of you studied in Sunday school. Many of you have heard hundreds, if not thousands of times in the course of your life, but we want to take a different perspective because it addresses this major issue of provision and why God seems to be so unpredictable. And we're going to look at Mark and I, I just got to say this up front. There are times when I'm reading scripture and I'm reading these stories that I have doubts about whether this is true and whether this actually happened. But then I have to go back to this idea that Mark was somebody who sat at the feet of Peter. And Peter was the guy who walked with Jesus wherever Jesus went, made a lot of mistakes, didn't do a lot of things right. But at the end of the day, he was with Jesus wherever Jesus went. And you're sitting in this place because of somebody named Peter, because God founded his church upon Peter. And Mark gets to sit at the feet of Peter and then begins to write all the stories that Peter feeds him over the course of time. And we talked about this last week, that the people that Mark is writing to today, uh, the people that Mark is writing to at the time is the people of Rome, the Christians in Rome. And it's so important, and we talked about it last week, that Nero, the emperor, decided that he was going to light the city on fire because he didn't like the Christians. He didn't care about anybody else. He just didn't like the Christians. And so in order to get rid of the movement, he decided to light the city on fire and then blame all the followers of Jesus so that then everybody would persecute them. 
So if anybody that Mark is talking to, the people in Rome are the people that need a miracle. We've been in Mark throughout the course of the series. These people need miracles of deliverance. They need miracles of healing, protection, and they truly probably need miracles today of provision, especially as Rome tries to snuff them out of the empire and try to push them out and starve them out. They need miracles of provision. And it seems at this point, especially because all the suffering that's taking place in their life, they feel like God is so unpredictable. Why isn't he delivering us? Why isn't he helping us? Why isn't he healing our people? Why isn't he protecting us? Why isn't he providing for us when we need it the most? You can hear them asking this question. And so this is why Mark tells us this story that you've heard so many times, uh, but we're going to study it today one more time. And I think it's great where we end up. Here's what Mark says. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them, the disciples and Jesus, and they ran on foot from all the other towns and they got there ahead of him. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, a massive crowd, it says that he had, say it with me now, compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, Jesus, up to this point, has established his ministry. People are following him. And by the way, it tells us, Mark tells us in this story, that there is a huge crowd that is following him to the other side. We talked about the other side, right? Very few people, very few followers actually want to get in the boat when Jesus is going to the other side because the cost is too costly. They just like to show up when Jesus is going to be arriving. And I would just say this, be leery of the crowd. And the reason why you need to be leery of the crowd is because those are the people who will only use Jesus for what he can give them, right? The crowd never is concerned about what they can give. They are only concerned with what they can get. And, and they understand that Jesus is going around. He's healing people. He's, he's doing miracles. He's, he's moving demons out of people. He's healing leprosy. He's making people who are paralyzed walk again. This guy's doing amazing things. And it appears like he is meeting every need. And so this crowd goes ahead of him. They're ahead of him and they're expecting, what is God going to give us? What is Jesus going to give us? What can we get from him in this moment? What need will he meet? And so here's what Jesus does. And I love this. He has compassion on them. And you've got to think about this compassion. You ever had a burger that didn't sell well with you? Or maybe you ate something spicy that you shouldn't have eaten and your stomach, you, you feel it, it starts to turn and you know it's about time. That is actually compassion. I don't know if you know that, but that's what that means. The literal word means like a guttural move. A bowel movement is what Jesus has when he sees these people. Uh, and that's what that means. He's, he's having compassion on them. He's so moved by their stories. He's so moved by their needs that he feels, he empathizes with what's going on in their life. And so here's what he does next. Mark tells us, so he began teaching them many things. Is anybody else confused about this beside me? I mean, we're talking about people's every needs. Jesus is going around healing people. There's a huge crowd who's expecting a lot from him. They're wondering what they can get from him. And then Jesus shows up and he starts teaching. It's kind of like, um, you ever had people in your life who've had a bad day? You've had people who've had a bad day, and, and what do people that are having a bad day do? They 
take it out on you, right? And you ever notice that when they start taking it out on you, you start, you start thinking it's all about you. Like, what did I do? Why are you upset with me? I didn't mean to do anything to make you upset. And you're beginning to question what the problem is. And the more you begin to realize it, the more you realize that it's actually not about you, but there's something more going on there. It's, it's kind of like sometimes I come home, and you know, the, what is it, the phrase, kick the cat? I know that's not very, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, PC, but uh, sometimes you come home and it's like, I'm frustrated with whatever went on in work life, and so I take it out on my kids, you know. Um, the other day we were expecting something to happen. It didn't happen. I got frustrated. And so I was frustrated yesterday, not at my kids, not at my wife. I was just frustrated in general. And so I made my kids uh, clean their rooms and go clean the garage. Hopefully that got done. Um, but I was taking it out on them. And, you know, Janelle said, like, yeah, I noticed you're a little on the edge, you know. Uh, but, you know, oftentimes we'll have discussions. Well, what's the problem? Because it feels like you're taking it out on us, like we're the problem. We made the mistake. And at the end of the day, as she begins to ask questions and she begins to ask more, there's something more going on as she digs deeper. She's not the problem. Something else is. And that's really what Jesus is doing here is you begin to read the story and you would say he's supposed to be meeting these needs. He's supposed to be meeting these people's needs. Yet he sits down and he starts teaching them. There has to be something more going on here, especially when it comes to the expectation that God will provide. And what we learn in the story is that Jesus doesn't meet their every need. He meets their immediate need. The reason Jesus sits down with them and he begins to teach them is not because he's concerned about all their ailments, their suffering, their leprosy, they're blind, they're paralyzed. He is concerned. In fact, he empathizes with them. But where he is most compassionate is that he recognizes these people are spiritually deprived in their life. And so he teaches them first. And I think when it comes to understanding God's miracle of provision, we've used this language, that God will meet our every need. But the truth is, God meets our immediate need, not our every need. That is so true. It is so true as God meets our immediate need, not our every need. Our every need is, I need a car. But maybe the immediate need is, we need companionship because the person gave us a ride. You see, our every need is, I need a gas card, but the, the immediate need is that you actually need a community who's willing enough to give you the gas card because they see so much good in you when nobody else would see good in you. So often, what we think is our every need, what we may perceive as our need, is not our immediate need. And so we begin to question, is God not meeting my need? He's meeting your need. You just don't know what your need actually is. And it's so interesting because Mark continues this theme and he continues this story when it comes to this idea of providing. And here's, here's what he says. He says, by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. Now, I love in the message because he says, this had gone on long enough. <laughs> Not that you've ever heard pastors go on long enough, but that's what the message says. It says, when Jesus had gone on long enough, they decided to interrupt him. Now, I don't know who you think you are to interrupt Jesus. The snake, number one, don't ever interrupt Jesus when he's talking. But the disciples are dumb enough to do it. So they come to him and they say, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you know this. You can't shut up. But this is a remote place, very dangerous, 
You know, not a great place to be at night. It's already getting late. It's already getting dark. And then they continue. Send the people away so they can go to the countryside. They can go to the surrounding villages and check it out. So they can buy themselves something to eat. Now, I know that you thought we started at the beginning of the story, but I actually started in the middle of the story so we could go back to the beginning when I needed to talk about it the most. And so there is a connection with what Mark says when it, this idea of sending them out with something to eat, sending them to the villages to get something to eat. And here it is. At the beginning of the story, Mark tells us these details. He says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and he reported to them all they had done and taught. In other words, they were doing the work of Jesus. They were exhausted. They were tired. Then, because so many needy people, so many needy people with all their needs being met came to them, they were coming and going. And notice what Mark says. They did not even have a chance to eat. Now, why would Mark point out that the disciples point out that they need something to eat and also point out that the disciples haven't yet anything to eat at all. Listen to what Jesus says next. I love it. He says, hey, come with me by yourselves. Let's go to a quiet place, a quiet restaurant, and let's get something to eat. No, he doesn't say that. He says, let's go and get some rest. Why would Mark tell us that they haven't had anything to eat and then Jesus goes and tells us, hey, let's go get some rest? Again, it's the point that Jesus meets our immediate need, not our every need. But there's a reason why Jesus doesn't feed them. There's a reason why Jesus, in his own wisdom, and we can't even understand it when it comes to God's provision, why God meets this need and not that need, but there's a reason why he doesn't feed them and he gives them rest. And the reason he doesn't feed them is because sometimes, when it comes to God's provision, we must go without in order to gain insight to where we can give. Sometimes in life, we have to go without, when it comes to God's provision, we have to go without in order to gain insight, to gain insight on where we're supposed to give. I find it ironic that the disciples knew exactly what was going on in the life of the people, even though Jesus had compassion on them. He knew what was, go they knew what was going on in those people's lives. They're tired, they're hungry, they've been doing work, their blood sugar's low, they need some carbs, they need some impactful protein, they're exhausted, they interrupt him, they know exactly what these people need because they've gone without and they know what it feels like to go without. And because of that, they're willing and ready to meet a need because they've gone without the exact thing that they need. This is not something that Jesus makes up. This is not something that isn't proven or true. By the way, in July, a study came out that proves that people who live in poverty and people, that who, people who are poor or of lower income status actually are more willing to give than people who are wealthy. The truth is, those who have less are more likely to give and those who have more are less likely to give. And the reason why people who are poverty-stricken poverty and people who are poor, they understand what they don't have. And when they realize they don't have it, they're willing to give it because they know that one day they may need it when they don't have it as well. 
And so they're willing to give out of their own poverty. They're willing to give because they don't have. They're willing to give because they can empathize. They have compassion for. They understand what's going on in the life of somebody else because they've gone through it. And sometimes when you think God needs to meet your need, your immediate need or your every need, he makes us go without so we can see around us where we can begin to meet needs. So they've gone without, they're hungry, they're tired, they're ready to send the people home, they're exhausted, Jesus keeps teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching, and they're ready to go out and grab something to eat. And so, as they make this suggestion to Jesus, Jesus turns around and here's the miracle that we can't grasp. Right? In this moment where they're all hungry, they're all tired, they have nothing to give, Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. Wow. You, not me, you give them something to eat. And you can hear the disciples in this moment. Are, are you serious? Like, you want me to fix supper for all these people? Have you, I mean, there's 5,000 men. We, we don't know about women and children. There could be 10, 15,000 people here. You want us to fix the dinner? You want us to find provisions? You want us to find a year's worth of wages in order to feed all these people? And you say it too. Jesus, God, are you serious? Don't you understand that I don't have gas to get around? I don't have food in my house for my family to eat. I don't have a leaky roof that just won't stop. And I, you know, I've got mold. I've got issues. Don't you understand? I don't have anything to give them to eat. And listen to what Jesus says next to his disciples. Just when they're in the middle of despair, he says, How many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? The disciples, in their understanding of life, aren't even aware of what they have. They're only aware of what they don't have. And God says to them, there are some gifts among you I need you to discover them. I need you to find them. I need you to bring them to me. And so they do. They, you know, they don't have any food. And they quickly find out that they muster up like five loaves and a couple fish. And they hand them to Jesus. Jesus takes them. He breaks them. He gives thanks for them. Waves it in the sky and does a magical thing. Gives them back to the disciples. The disciples then turn around and they begin to feed these 5,000 men, maybe 10, 15,000 women and children as well. And it's so awesome. We would say, what a miracle, a provision by God. But the question I'm asking is, who provided the miracle? Was it Jesus or was it the disciples? You're a genius. That's right. The answer is both. So often, when it comes to provision, we are aware of what we don't have in life. 
In fact, as Americans, our greatest issue is we are constantly aware of what we don't have in our lives. Our house is never big enough. Our cars are never good enough. We don't have enough food. We never have enough clothing. We can't wear the most up-to-date clothing. Like, we always struggle with what we don't have. And Jesus leads in, and he looks at you, and he looks at me, and he looked at Peter, and he looked at the disciples, and he looked at everybody there and said, How many loaves do you have? In other words, how many gifts in your life do you have to give me? Because when you can give me the gifts that I've given you, that I've provided you, that you already have, I can exponentially break those in order to meet needs all around the world. God uses our gifts to give. This is the miracle of God's provision. Is that God uses our gifts our gifts to give. And the only thing that you need to do is to give them to God and say, God, would you use whatever I have, my few loaves, in order to give to people who have immediate needs? See, that's the miracle. We would never consider that God visibly intervening might happen through somebody other than God himself. We would never consider a miracle that somebody has provided for us a gas card, somebody has provided for us a paycheck, somebody has provided for us a means in order to buy food, somebody has provided, provided, provided. Nobody would ever consider that somebody was a miracle in their life. And yet God has called each of us to be the miracle that intervenes. You are the visible intervention that people need. I don't know if you know this, but that's really how God's story, our story starts, is that from the very beginning, God calls these people out and he says, hey, hey exciting news. I need you to be a blessing to the world. And they're really stoked until they don't have anything. And then they're complaining about everything. We don't have this. We don't have this. We don't have this. We don't have this. And God says, listen, you don't need to have a lot in order to give. In fact, I want to do something that's kind of counterintuitive. That's really what Jesus does, is he does things that are counterintuitive. And so here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to give 10% so God will give you a hundredfold. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I don't want you to live in that house, so I need you to write me a check for $500, and God will give you the mansion over on the west side. I'm just, no. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to meet need out of your own need. Now, that seems kind of weird, doesn't it? How, how am I supposed to give if I have... I give that to somebody else. But he, here's what I mean. Some of us struggle with being lonely. But what if instead of saying, I'm lonely, woe is me, you decide to step into somebody else's story who's lonely. Some of us feel like nobody ever cares about us. And what I'm asking is that you would become aware of that and you would begin to care for somebody else. Some of us are totally aware that we don't have a lot of clothes in our house. We don't, we don't have the greatest and latest, and we just don't have a lot to give. But 
my guess is if I could step into your house, there are probably clothes you don't wear and there are clothes your kids don't wear. Even in your need of needing clothes, what if you gave what you weren't using to Hope Closet? Some of you on Monday will need a cup of coffee in order to get through the rest of the day. Maybe just share a cup of coffee. I don't know. But, but what I'm asking you to understand is that sometimes we have to go without in order to understand where we need to give the most. Sometimes we have to go without in life in order to gain understanding or insight on where we're supposed to give. And so I would say this week, part of your spiritual growth, part of the movement in your life is acknowledging what you don't have and then giving out of your greatest need. See, we would encourage you, modern common sense is, give out of your abundance. We're asking you to give out of your weakness. And I promise you, it may not seem like a miracle to you, but it may be a miracle of provision for somebody else. You are a miracle. God has gifted you. Let him use it.